0: something the last 3 Sundays which is somewhat of a violation of the way that we usually do things at Ellers- Ellersley and that is I'm sort of mixing my daily thunder podcast with my Sunday sermon podcast. And so if you've been following the Sunday sermon podcast, you know you have like the first episode in this new series, but it's a daily thunder series. And then I think it was like the 4th episode uh was in there. And so now we have the ninth episode uh and it's uh or I guess it, maybe it was the fifth last week. That's probably more accurate. And, but it's been a very, very stirring series for me. And this is episode nine in the series called Daring to Do as Stanley Dale, which is, in a sense, us going back in time to the 1930s all the way through the 19, late 1960s, and exploring what God did in a missionary movement to take this island known as Papua New Guinea, specifically the west side, Irian Jaya, uh, or Netherlands New Guinea. There's a lot of different names we could bring because it's been renamed multiple times. But it was an island full of what would have been called Stone Age people that had literally never been exposed to the outside world for potentially thousands of years, which is quite the thought. What would it be like to go in and reach a culture like that? Well, it was extremely dangerous in every regard because just to travel in there, most people lost their life. It was nearly impossible to reach. The jagged rocks, the cliff edges, the landslides, the uh, miasmal swamps, that they, as they would call them, uh, full of malaria. And it was so dangerous physically to get in, and that's just getting there. But then when you get there, you have people groups that are very hostile to outsiders starting. They're even hostile to themselves. So you have headhunting cannibalistic tribes that are there that are empowered by demons. And so you have a very, very unique trap, if you will, for the missionary. If you want to survive, don't go there. And so when we have a title of a series that is daring to do is Stanley Dale, it's basically saying Stanley Dale, who's just one of many, and he's more of a symbol in this story, is, was willing to go into the most dangerous of places because isn't Jesus worth it? And these people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been unpacking this from multiple angles as we've been going through this, and it's stirring. It has been for me. And the process that you go through as the believer to say, well, God, what is my response to this, though? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, it's just part of what God is doing. So this is part nine, which is called Staring Down the Shock Troops. And so this is going to cover quite a breadth of uh, this time. We're going to deal with Darlene Dibler. We're going to deal with uh, Stanley Dale, you know, which is quite a few uh, decades apart. So competing with the devil for the soul of a nation. Back in 1942, uh, the Japanese are going to invade this island. And this island has a new movement of grace upon it. I mean, just think about in history. This island has not heard the gospel of Jesus, yet in this time period, it is the, the Christian community around the world has been awakened to its need, that there are people on this island that have never heard the gospel. And so the first wave is going to come in and they are going to be risking their life to get into these tribes. And some of them are just now going to be reaching the tribes and building relationships, and then what, what happens? The Japanese come swooping in. Well, the timing is just extraordinary, right? And so as a result, they're going to call all missionaries out from the interior uh, because of they... they well, I don't know why. It seems like it would have been far safer for them to be in there, which Japanese troops want to go into the interior, right? But they call them to the shoreline. So the Dibblers, which have just made their way in there, are, are being called back to the shores. And then they're basically saying, look, we need to get you off of this island. The Japanese shock troops are about to arrive, which should strike dread in every single one of us. If you knew what the Japanese shock troops were, they were meant to shock you. They came with such violence, such force as to create dread and fear in everyone. What was that for? Why why would the enemy work with dread and fear? Because he wants them to kowtow. He wants them to bend their knee even before they arrive. It's like, you do know that we are greater than all of you. And if you don't do anything, if you raise your head up, if you even question us, yet head gets lopped off. And so it was extreme and the fear was extreme. And so these new missionaries that have just arrived there, that have a purpose, have a sense of vision for reaching this island, it's already hard, but then you have the Japanese that show up. And the devil has worked with shock troops throughout history. This is just what he works with. And so when we look at the Japanese shock troops, that's just one manifestation in history of how the enemy comes in and tries to bring dread, tries to bring fear, tries to kowtow everyone in its wake. You'll notice I say uh, 1942 or 2021. You see, what we have in our day is not Japanese shock troops, but we have shock troops. This last year and a half was a whole bunch of shock troops coming on the shoreline of America and beating us into subjection and capturing our will to fight back and attempting to create an entire nation of passive observers. Yep, I guess we're just going to go with whatever the scientists are saying, whatever the government's saying, they know. Well, you know. We obviously are idiots out here. And so as a result, we have this cowing that is taking place. And what's interesting, if you know the history of America, that is the opposite of what could ever happen to America. That would never happen to America. And yet we just watched it happen in the last year and a half. I mean, with these own eyes, I've been watching it. And I just stare back, it's like, whoa, this is incredible. Do we have the fight? I don't know. If you're dealing with Japanese shock troops, who wants to fight them? Come on, it's like, if you want to live to see another day, just bend the knee. Just give up. This is a classic... Uh, model. So 1942, the shock troops of Japan. Here's Darlene Diebler uh, speaking of that in her book, Evidence Not Seen. We wanted none of our students to face the already infamous shock troops should invasion come. These shock troops were the first waves of invading soldiers who by their cruelty and heinous practices paralyzed the inhabitants with fear. 2021. You see, we don't have Japanese shock troops. What we have is ideological shock troops. If you stand against the incoming ideology, well, uh, bad things happen to you, okay? And if you were to say, what are those bad things that happen to you? We're not sure what actually happens. We just know you shouldn't stand against them because bad things will happen. And so as a result, you feel it. It's a cowing of the soul to say, you believe this, don't you? Not along. This is fine for you, right? Not along. And so as a result, we feel this cowing. And I'm going to just say fear, lawlessness, hatred, and apathy. Four things that have swept into this country very strongly. And they're ancient spirits is what they are. And they're very good at what they do. Fear leads the way because fear silences all the rest. If fear has any resistance to it, then lawlessness breaks out or the threat of murder, which is hatred. In other words, you do know that we will bring you down. And, of course, apathy is a different tactic. It's a completely opposite end taptic, tactic to just say, let him have the land. Let him take it. You don't, it's not worth giving up your life for. And so as a result, we have an ideological uh, shock troop system that has entered our territory. So I have a quote here that I came up with. It's one of those quotes you can dig up maybe in 100 years by a guy named Eric Ludi and be like, oh, fascinating. And so this is like my historian attempts, right? In March of 2020, something stepped ashore this nation, something strange, foreign, and menacing. It wasn't the smallest fear, anxiety, and fretting that had always lingered in the recesses of our culture. But it was a super hybridized version of fear that functioned with such aggression that even the most hardy souls were struck dumb and submissive before its violent uprising. And along with hyper fear marched three angry divisions of the most highly trained and madly pugnacious shock troops, lawlessness, hatred, and apathy. And we of the United States watched as this tidal wave of darkness began to dismantle the once great United States of America. Hmm. And some of you are thinking, uh, <clears throat> this isn't the most pleasant uh, conversation so far, Eric. Hey, there's hope, guys, all right? When the shock troop... By the way, the Japanese didn't win in World War II, okay? Let's just let's go back in time. Let's, just, let's, let's recall the, the ancient history here. You see, good guys do win in the end, even if it has to be Jesus as the good guy that finally sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives and you know, victory uh, begins to come. The good guy wins. Haman hangs on his own gallows. The fearless Yali warriors of the Helic Valley. So we have, in a sense, a different form of shock. And that is the terrain of this uh, land, this irian giant land. I mean, it is when it's described, it is rather amazing to think, you know, these Sago... Uh, thorns that stick out six inches. Could you imagine just, you know, sending your children out to play? And one of the most common bushes around is a sago, uh, and it has like six-inch thorns on it. It's like, ah. the, the amount of deadly creatures that devour little babies uh, is, are just all over, whether it's crocodiles or whether it's, uh, you know, different type of uh, snakes that are rather large. I mean, this is a dangerous, dangerous place, so that's just the, uh, you know, the, the geography and the, and the animals uh, and the, 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 the landscape of it is, is terrible. But then you arrive, and everything about how these people are dressed is intimidating. Their war paint, the grease that is all over their, their body, the bones that stick through their noses, it is meant to intimidate. That's actually its entire purpose. The reason they dress with war paint isn't to look friendly. It's to look intimidating. So everything about their culture is designed to intimidate. So when you get to the story of the lords of the earth, you study the Yali people. And Don Richardson goes into the Yali people, which are called the lords of the earth. And I'll give you a description here. But this is one intimidating people that Stanley Dale is going to be sent to. Don Richardson says, the Yali called themselves men of power, lords of the earth. For in their remote mountain-walled valleys, no one challenged their sway. In league with the Kembu spirits, Yali males bowed to no one and needed nothing. Or did they? And so it's a very intimidating story. And there's most of us that, it doesn't take many chapters into the lords of the earth that we're like, I think God has called me elsewhere. This is not friendly even to read through. It is very uncomfortable. To the point where I sort of want to get out of the book. You know, it's like, God, could you help me not be called to this book, uh, even? This is a hard storyline. It's a hard people. It is intimidating. Fear is their weapon. Listen to this scripture. I'm, I'm going to have the, the slide up. It says a proof of salvation. There is something that is going to be described in scripture as a proof to us of our salvation. It's a, it's a very unusual proof, okay? But I'll read it to you. It's in Philippians. Paul say, says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. So in all of this, that you're not supposed to be terrified in any way by your adversaries. It's pretty easy to be terrified by your adversaries. But no, as the church, that we would not be terrified in any way by our adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you it's a proof of salvation, and that from God. Isn't that an interesting statement, that to us to not be terrified and to stand boldly in the midst of something rather terrifying, is actually an evidence to our soul that we have a Savior, that we are gripped in the hollow of his hand, that we are in the apple of his eye, that we are his property and he cares for us. It is a proof of that, that we are not terrified even though we're supposed to be. Every normal human would be terrified in this situation, but we're not. The smell of fear. So this is a quick study in the law of the jungle. You ever heard it uh, said that, I don't, I don't know, my mom used the statement all the time, you know, like certain animals can smell fear, like the dogs can smell fear. And so if, if you're fearful, then, you know, they'll go after you. But if you're fearless, well, then that, that intimidates them. You know, I, I don't know how, if, smear, if, if, if fear has a smell, if there's something that's given off, I'm guessing there probably is something going on there. Uh, but to the, in the jungle, that's exactly what it is. So when these tribes, when you meet a tribe, and of, of headhunters, and they come out to meet you, and you're strange to them, so you're rather terrifying to them with your maybe white skin and you know straight hair. If you came like they did from Canada, from America, or from Australia, they looked very strange uh, to these tribal folks, and and so there was a certain terror that was there. But both sides are attempting to show that they're not afraid. And actually, the first side to show fear is the one that loses. That's, that's jungle law right there. And so as a result, you don't flinch. So from the youngest age, they are going to train their warriors, the Yali warriors, to not flinch. Because to flinch or to show fear is a sign of weakness, and it's a sign that the other creature is going to devour you. The other creature gets strength when they see you flinch. So then they move forward to uh, pounce. So woe to the one that flinches first, the boldest man has the boldest God. So as a result, what you see is this test of boldness that is going to come into these territories. Whoever is going to be called by God to come into this territory better be very bold in their God, because if he even flinches, he's dinner on that night's menu. And that's not even an exaggeration. This is a very, very serious thing for these missionaries to come into this territory and to be strong to be formidable, to have faith in their God, even though they're surrounded oftentimes by warriors with menacing looks on their faces. So there's two aspects to this scripture in Philippians that I read. One is that your fearlessness, if you will, the fact that you are not terrified by your enemy, is a proof to you of salvation, but it's also a proof of something else. It's a proof of perdition. So listen to what it says in Philippians 1 not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. It is a proof that what they are holding on to is going down. It is a weak infrastructure. And so could you imagine what would happen if the enemy came in with his shock troops and we were fearless? If we did not tremble at all, if we were not terrified, what would that be in evidence to him? Uh-oh, we have problems. So there is nothing worse to an enemy that is his entire marketing campaign is fear, and he comes in and there's no, it doesn't strike fear. It's like, whoa, that isn't good. Yeah, which is why we should walk in fearlessness. How is boldness formed? So this is a good question for all of us because many of us wonder, it's like, is this something where one day I just say, Eric Lutie, yes, I'm talking to myself, Eric Lutie, you need to be bold. You are a coward and it's time you get bold. You see, there is a part truth in that, and that is that there are certain things that you can do to improve yourself. There are. And there are are things that we can do to sharpen our senses, to strengthen our body, to make us uh, more formidable in this world. However, when we talk about spiritual boldness, this isn't something that is done just with a flip of the mind to say, okay, enough of cowardice. I'm bold from this day forward. So how is boldness formed? Can you steal yourself? Does a Christian make himself bold? Do we talk ourselves into this state of mind? Is this merely a psychological exercise of the will? So the training of the six-year-old Yali boy facing the incoming spear. So they take the young boys into the manhouse, and they're training them to be men. So remember, there's no flinching. And so they take a spear, and they come and throw it right at the little boy's head. He has no idea. And so he flinches, and he cowers, and he screams, and then they correct him. And then they do it again. And they're showing the boy that they're not going to hit him, right? But they have to, until the boy can just stand there and take a spear right at his face without flinching, he's not ready. Whoa, could you imagine being trained that way? with a spear? You're just thinking the whole time, what if he does miss? <laughs> I mean, I know he's not intending to miss, but that's a real spear. You've got to be kidding. And yet, hey, if you're going to train in the jungle, you better you know, have the stuff. And if you're going to survive out there, you can't flinch. If you flinch, you're a dead guy. The daring of Stanley Dale calling their bluff. So this entire series is called Daring to Do is Stanley Dale, so it's about time we get to at least a little Stanley Dale, okay? This is going to be a little hint of Stanley Dale, and then I'm going to retract and go get elsewhere and get distracted, and then I'm going to come back to Stanley Dale and more build a profile of who he was, because he's symbolic of two things. First of all, Stanley Dale, if you study him, uh, he has a lot of rough edges, okay? He's, he's a very, very imperfect example of historic Christianity where you're like, oh, I want to be just like Stanley Dale. Well, what you'd say with Stanley Dale is I want to be just like him except for this, 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 this. oh, and that. Uh, oh, yeah, while we're at it, God, don't put that in either. He's a very imperfect man, which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I, I like bringing him into the, the storyline at the level I have, like even symbolically. Because in that way, he represents all of us. It's not the perfected man or woman that can be used by God. It's the one who is humbled and willing to say, God, I'm not much, but will you use this? Stanley Dale was a little shrimpy guy, a little short guy. And this guy probably is one of the toughest guys on earth at the time. And he is going to give his life to God. And the reason he was so tough is because he was so small. He was fighting for his identity the entire, his entire life. And he became a rather tough guy. But when he found Christ, suddenly that is going to mix together, and he's going to get an infusion of spiritual boldness in with it. And this guy is something else, okay? There are not that many people that could be called to the Yali people, who Don Richardson will probably even acknowledge, maybe the toughest crowd out of all of Irian Jaya to have to reach would be this group in this valley. And guess who gets the assignment? Stanley Dale. And so what this guy is going to go through is quite intense. So the daring of Stanley Dale, and listen to this, calling their bluff. This is a great story. In other words, all of us in a sense have a bluff when we stand there fearless. Because, you know, if you don't have God, there's a little tremble inside of you. Uh, when you're looking at the, the opposite side saying, who's going who's gonna to flinch first? The Christian really has no need to ever flinch. Because we are founded upon Rock. So as a result, we're just calling out the bluff of the enemy. I know you're scared because I'm not scared. And I know that that's a sign to you of perdition. That really must bother you. But I'm not changing. I'm not going to flinch. No matter what you do, I'm confident in my God. Oh, that causes some problems for the enemy. So Don Richardson recounts, uh, and I, I can't give too much away of how Don Richardson knows so much about this. I'll fill in that uh, later. But Don Richardson was a missionary to the uh, Sawi tribe, simultaneous to what's taking place in these. Actually, this is a little before he arrived with the Sawi, but Don Richardson is going to put together this whole story and deliver it to us years later, but it's a good story. Round the bend, the bend of the valley, they noticed Yali warriors of Yabi and Kobach lining up fully armed along the far bank. Balingua, meanwhile, thronged downhill behind Stan, Bruno, and their carriers, shouting at full cry, they prepared to make a stand. War cries went up. Arrows came level. Black palm wood bows were flexed in readiness. So these guys are new to the valley, okay? They're trying to bring peace. <laughs> and so they're staying there, and suddenly these opposite, these camps of Yali are dead set against each other, okay? They have a system of justice, which is basically you kill one of ours, then we will not stop until we kill one of yours, and it's always uneven, and there's there's been war against each other for like generations, generations. No one even knows when it started, you know, and it'll never end. They know that, and so they think the two on the other side of the river think that these uh, two ons, uh, these long nosed white men, have come to help give godlike power to the their enemies on the other side of the river. So they're coming down to uh, say, oh, yeah, we're going to stand against you. Uh, We're going to bring war against you then. So uh, Stan and Bruno, of course, still had no inkling of the political situation they had stumbled into. But one thing was clear. Warriors across the river were warning them not to cross. This, of course, constituted a challenge. And for Stanley Albert Dale, there was only one thing to do with the challenge. Meet it. He's Australian, by the way. All right, mates, he barked. I'll call your bluff. Stan advanced boldly toward the Yabi-Kobak horde. Bruno, Sui, and the five Donnies, and the host of Balinga warriors watched in amazement. It was the latter who were bluffing. Balinga did not really want the strangers to lead an open attack. They hoped merely to put the enemy to flight by the appearance of one. To reach his challenger, Stan crossed the tributary, which led down from the Mugui on a low-slung Yali suspension bridge. Then he walked past a low ridge to the foaming helix. Here there was no bridge, for it was the edge of, an, of enemy territory. Stan judged the river low enough to ford, and he plunged into the white water right under the bows of the highly agitated Yabi and Kobach warriors. Bruno's heart sank as he prayed desperately for Stan's safety. Stan was now completely beyond human help. The Balinga side... Hillside became as a massive coliseum, odd spectators straining to see the lone martyr stride forward to take the lions by their beards. Thigh deep in surging water, Stan looked up at the Yabi kobak host. Some already had their bows ready. Others waved their arms at him in one last warning. Go back, go back. Stan mused to himself, sorry mates, it's too late for me to turn back. 18 years too late. I have not come all this way to turn back at the word of men. He waded forward. The current was stronger than he expected, and he took his eyes off of his antagonist on the far bank in order to find sure footing. Looking down at Stan, the Yabi and the Kobak men were stunned. What sort of man is this, they asked. Who would advance alone and unarmed, for they had no idea that the stick slung over his shoulder was a weapon, placing himself at the mercy of men on high ground. He certainly did not look insane or demon-possessed. Rather, his face radiated the confidence of a priest arbitrating a dispute. Simultaneously, several of the Yabi men discerned the truth. The stranger was not advancing as an ally of Balinga, but as a neutral agent who desired to align himself with both sides of the valley. Don't kill him, someone shouted. Bowstrings relaxed. Stan later wrote, when I reached the bank, most of the men had disappeared. Those remaining apparently decided to be friendly. All by his lonesome, he takes on a whole host of warriors with their bows drawn. And he forwards straight towards them, coming at them from below, which in their culture is the worst omen ever. If you're ever caught on the downside, I mean, you're a dead guy. And he approaches them from below with absolute confidence, knowing he's going to win. And what do they do? They put down their bows. They are shocked by his boldness. It actually speaks their language in a strange way. The principle of spiritual boldness. Men can develop psychological boldness to face physical and emotional tests. But outside of divine impartation, men are unable to develop spiritual boldness to face spiritual tests. In other words, you can develop boldness, psychological boldness, for challenging things on this earth. It's possible. But for spiritual tests, you need spiritual boldness. There is a difference between just human mental uh, tests, physical tests, challenges, sort of like being in the gym and you have like, you, you, well, maybe I should go to soccer training camp, when, uh, he, when the, the coach would, would tell us to do something that was impossible, and mentally you begin to immediately give up, and then he's teaching you the whole time to, to not listen to your mind, but to keep telling your body what to do, and you're like, give me a break. This is ridiculous, and you don't feel like you can do it. Again, it's mental training. Most of human exercise most of human athleticism is based on it. And you don't need to be a Christian to overcome in a physical sense and to mentally begin to tell your body what to do. However, there's a spiritual dynamic to who you are. And to be spiritually bold and to stand up for truth, for even for very specifically for Jesus Christ in a culture that hates him, is very difficult. It's not something that you psychologically just decide, I'm going to do. You need something from the outside, You need spiritual impartation to be able to be spiritually bold. What is cowardice? Cowardice is the deadly condition native to the soul of every human born of the race of Adam. It fogs the mind when clarity is most needed. It shuts down the legs when rushing forward into danger is required. It clamps down the tongue when speaking truth is mandatory. And it acts like glue applied to the derriere when standing up is essential. If you don't know what a derriere is, that's probably fine. We can offset the effects of this malady by degrees in and through training, discipline, and practice, but we cannot ever completely overcome its paralyzing powers, and at the moments we most need to escape its control, it proves that it still holds us, and these are the moments that are of spiritual importance. Some of you know exactly what I mean here. You're rather bold people, even naturally, but there are certain situations that still strike terror in you. In that moment when shock comes, it sort of locks us down. That's what I'm so intrigued about with the spiritual boldness that we're going to see by these missionaries throughout the ages, is that they are given something to the degree that shock seems to come from an evil source, right? And it seems to want to shut down your your functionality. There seems to be something of even greater measure that comes from the opposite direction to enable the body to do super heroic things in the direct face of shock, and that's what we're going to see here. First of all, what we just witnessed Stan Dale do is so utterly ridiculous. If you were watching, you would have been thinking, Stan, Stan, st- st- uh, no, 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 no. And yet what he did was exactly what was needed in that moment. Because he was speaking the law of the jungle. He's like, I do not fear you. They have bows. He's just standing there. Yeah, he has some weapon hung over his shoulder, right? But he's not planning on using it he's literally vulnerable. If they want to take him out, he's pretty easy prey. But the greater weapon was his fearlessness. It was actually greater than all of their bows. It was greater than the horde around. His fearlessness spoke a language and actually delivered a blow back to the enemy. The resolve of the early church, listen to this resolve, we will fear nothing. Now, for whatever reason, we have grown up in an era of the church where we don't have the same resolve. Fear to us is a normal byproduct of living in the human body. And I'm not going to argue that. However, it's not a normal byproduct of living inside of a supernatural body known as Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we should regain our composure as Christians and remember the historic heritage from which we descend. We will fear Nothing. So could you imagine when these people, you know, that whisper all the doom and gloom around us and always love to tell us the things that are falling to pieces in our world instead of the things that God may be doing. It's really hard because we have not received a lot of good news as believers in a long time. Remember those good old days? It was a long time ago. And when we used to hear news, you know, sort of like, yeah, did you hear that this happened? We're like, oh, that's encouraging to hear I have not heard anything of, encouraging, of an encouraging nature in, well, probably over a year. I don't know when it last was, but it's been a long time since I heard something that would have given me a sense of hope and a future for the, whether it's the political or the uh, social side of this country. It's like, we just seem to be going over a cliff and it's just a straight drop uh, to the bottom, you know, and there doesn't seem to be any hope in the middle. Except we as Christians don't buy that line. You see, we don't need to hear good news from the media. We have good news in the Word of God. That should be a higher source of information for us. And so as a result, it doesn't matter what the world is saying, we are holding on to something greater. But the resolve of the early church, we will fear nothing. Isaiah 51 Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die, and of the son of man who will be made like grass? Hey, guys, why are you afraid of that? Do you not know who your God is? He's the one who comforts you. Acts 4. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So this is a a parallel situation, I would say, where you hear rumor or you hear story of how Peter and John were just beaten, and because they were testifying of Jesus. Now, that might not seem that, that big of a deal to you, because for whatever reason, when we think of stories back in the book of Acts, it doesn't seem as harrowing as like when you hear about stories today. And yet, these guys were beaten because they stood for Jesus. They just happened to rejoice in that, which causes maybe some of the intensity in it to be lessened. But then they're going to come back to the church and return after being beaten, Now, they were rejoicing in their being beaten, but they were still beaten. And so if you're a member of the rest of the church, you're thinking, whoa, so that means if I speak, I could get the same treatment. That's exactly what they're trying to tell you. That's exactly what the enemy's whispering. You see how they were treated? That you're next. What do you need in a situation like that? You need this. You need the Holy Spirit, boldness. And when you have that combo package, you become the fearless one, and they become the tremblers. Whoa, the church has something there. Let the enemy do the trembling. Let the enemy do the fearing. We as the church of Jesus Christ don't participate in that. The hands spring over the wall, demonstrating fearlessness in the face of gravest threats. So Stan Dale and Bruno are, and I can't remember his last name. It's a, it's an unusual one. He's from Holland. They show up in uh, this very dire situation, and they need their first uh, tactic is to build a uh, a landing strip for a plane because they can't get anything in here because it's so dangerous to get in in the first place. They need a landing strip, and then they could get you know Stan's wife and kids could come, and so it's it's a big project, but there really isn't a good spot for it. Like they, they saw from overhead, they thought they had a good spot, but actually the spot went down into a swamp and then came up. It was like, wow, this isn't really good. Uh, but that was the only option they had. And so it turns into this monumental project. And so Stan is going down there, and he's trying to measure it out to see if it's going to be long enough. And that's the scene we're going to enter into. So everything is new in this situation. They're, they're all watching Stan to see what he's doing. Uh, Because up to this point, they sort of think he he could be descended from the gods, he could be a supernatural being. They believe in spirits, so it's not that far removed. They just never seen anything like this guy, and but he's so bold in their midst, just sort of doing things. And this is uh, a key moment quickly. Sawi, who was sort of their helper translator, he knew a little of the Dani language, and so uh, they were able to put some pieces together as far as communication. Quickly, Sawi ran in front of Stan and pointed to a trail that would bypass the sacred wall. So Stan is measuring, and he's coming up to what's... uh, It's a a sacred wall that if anyone enters inside of that, that, for instance, if a woman or a girl enters inside of that sacred wall, she'll be thrown into the raging rapids and just killed. You're not allowed to ever go inside of this. If someone who is uh, a man who is uninitiated is never initiated into Kembo, which is like a demonic spirit... Uh, they would have, I don't know what it was, like pig's blood rubbed in their eyes, you know, some, something like that. And so it's, it's a serious violation. You don't just go traipsing into that territory. So Stan is measuring. He's headed straight for it. And so Sawi sees that, and the, all the, the priests of Kabu are coming out and going, what, what's he doing? And so Sawi's like, ah, I need to stop this guy. I'm the only one that can speak to him. So he ran in front of Stan and pointed to a trail that would bypass the sacred wall. Please, my father, he pleaded. Let's take this trail. It's shorter. Not where I'm going, Stan replied and brushed past him. Oh, where are you going? Sui queried nervously. Over that stone wall, Stan gruffed, trying to keep his mind on his measuring. Sui chewed his lip and tried again. Please, my father, do not touch that wall. Holding his count, Stan paused and turned. Why not? Uh, Because, Sui's mind reeled. How could he make him understand? His Donnie vocabulary was so sparse, and it was difficult to convey his thoughts through WandaWalk. Stan's Donny helper. Because there is a Kembu spirit in there. It is a bad place for you. What is a Kembu spirit? Stan probed. For in the Swart Valley, where Stan had learned Donnie, Kembu was only the name of a certain mountain. A Kembu spirit is like a mugwat. the youth replied, using a Donnie word for ghost. Only a Kembu spirit is a much more powerful mugwat. A ghost, eh? Stan took another look at the Kembu Vom. So- suddenly it reminded him of that haunted house back in Boral and of all the specious attempts of the bullies to make him afraid. Very well, he reasoned. If these people are ever to be set free from their fear of ghosts, someone will have to show them that there is nothing to be afraid of, that someone might as well be me, and now is as good a time as any. I mean, I, there's part of me, even reading the book, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Stan, just, I mean, but he doesn't listen to me. The priest and their escort of armed warriors were hurrying closer. Stan still had not noticed them. To show you I'm not afraid of ghosts, I'm going inside that wall. Watch and see if anything happens to me. Stan turned, pressing his old Australian army hat down around his ears. He strode briskly toward the wall, and with a hop, skip, and a jump, hand sprung himself over it. Do you imagine? Who has the audacity to just run in, jump in, and stand there? It's like, hey, see? This is like their sacred space. And I'm not afraid of those demons, is basically what he said. They tremble before him. If you study the Yali people, it's like their superstition is so high. They will do whatever this spirit tells them to do, even if it's extreme. And Stan shows no regard for it. Instead, handsprings over the wall, lands in their territory and then tears it down for his runway. <laughs> Answering the mockery, refusing to be cowed. This is just classic Stanley Dale. So when you, when you tell stories of Stanley Dale, these are the stories that are really fun to relate. But it is so shocking how he responds because it's so different. But what he is going to do is he's going to silence his adversaries because he does not fear them. So Don Richardson writes, and so the killers and devourers of Selimbo came to see Stan and Bruno. So this is a very uh, dangerous troop that has just shown up. They came armed to the teeth. They were big, barrel-chested, wild-looking men, awesome and bearing, resplendent with nose tusks, shells and feathers, and powerfully scented with old pig grease. They all turned towards Stan and Bruno, who were sitting calmly in their little camp, all washed and shaved and Sunday-rested. It's true. They wear no gourds, sniffed one Yali. How unmanly can you get? As the multitude gathered around, staring in wide-eyed awe, Stan, out of the side of his mouth, quipped to his mild-faced companion. It's Sunday afternoon at the Ninja Zoo, Bruno. Only it's you and me in the monkey pit instead of chimpanzees. Then Stan, rising slowly to his feet... Added, I'll show him something no chimpanzee ever did. You could just imagine Bruno going, "Stan, Stan!" <laughs> <laughs> With consummate perk, he sauntered forth into the tightening circle of warriors, opened his mouth wide, plucked out his upper and lower plates—his false teeth, by the way—and clacked them manually before several hundred unbelieving <laughs> eyes. Did ever a single action so quickly drain composure from a host of August countenances? And did ever an assembly of bold men melt in more instantaneous fright? But at the sound of Stan's loud, reassuring guffaw, his laughter, they slowed their headlong retreat, regaining composure and gradually returned chiding each other for their cowardice. <laughs> These men who tremble at nothing are going to tremble at Stan's false teeth. <laughs> They, they uh, Don Richardson shares this other story uh, in there of, uh, it's really funny stories, because false teeth, obviously, that would shock probably some of us if someone just took out their teeth and started messing with them. But back in these days, false, te- false teeth that came in and out were far more common. And uh, they had this one guy, this one missionary, uh, was, had his workers, and they were trying to work on a project. He was really struggling. Whenever he would leave, they would just get disorderly and wouldn't do anything, so he, he said, look, guys, I'm leaving, but I am going to leave my eye here. He took out one of his eyes, stuck it on the, the bench, and aimed it towards them. And he said, I'll be able to see, you know, everything you're doing. And uh, he came back hours later, and they were just still scared to death looking over at that eye. <laughs> <clears throat> the bold and the brave, men and women that dared to do as Stanley Dale. So first, Mary Slessor, missionary to Africa. So if you've ever studied Mary Slessor, she was one of the first, if not the first women to ever enter into interior Africa, sort of like like Darlene Dibler was to interior Papua New Guinea. And this girl, this lady was a redhead. She was a little small thing. I mean, I, I don't know if she even crested five feet. She was a tiny little thing, but she was as tough as they come. So as the story goes, she's in this village, And there's certain, you know, ways that things work in the village, right? And there was someone who had violated uh, something. I don't know if it was a a girl. And one of the, uh, it was a priest or a warrior came up, and he was going to pour hot oil on her as a form of punishment. And so she saw what was about to happen, and she's like, no way are you going to do that. And so she comes up, this little teeny thing, in front of this huge warrior in his war paint, and stands in front and basically says, leave her alone. You will not do that. And he's like, what? And so he's, he's thinking, who are you to stop me? So he's threatening to pour hot oil on her. He's, and basically, this is what she says, do it. Pour it on me. I do not fear you or your threats, uh, Mary, that is hot oil. And yet she would not back down. And this tribe had never seen this before. But that warrior, who had never trembled at anything, trembled before Mary Slessor and sat down and left in humiliation. What was her secret? Never fearing the bravado of the enemy. You can't fear the war paint. You can't fear the bones. You can't fear the intimidation techniques, the shock troop ways. You have to recognize that your God is greater. Do you remember uh, that, that valley when Elisha was being surrounded and his, uh, his servant could not see it and all he saw was, was the Syrian army? And Elisha says, open my servant's eyes that he can see. You see, greater are those that are with us than those that are coming against us. We need to remember that. We need eyes to see the horses and chariots of fire all around. Harriet Tubman, a great study in and of itself. Uh, she's, we could call her the conductor of the Underground Railroad. That's not a real rail, railroad. That was a rescue system for slaves in the South. Great stories come out of that. What was her secret? She considered herself untouchable while doing the good Lord's business. He's like, hey, as long as I'm doing his business, he can keep me. And that was her confidence. And her attitude, I will not die one day earlier than the good Lord intends. You know, when you think that way, it actually changes the way you do things. She did extremely dangerous things, risking her life at a very high level, and she didn't fear. She knew God was in control of her life. David Wilkerson, He was a missionary to the gangs of New York City. If you ever read the the book, Cross of the Switchblade, wow, that is a powerful book. His secret, he knew that when he obeyed, God himself would go before him. So his attitude, cut me into a thousand pieces and each one will cry out, I love you. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do to me. My message is, I love you because Jesus loves you. And it literally shocked the gang members. They didn't know what to do with this guy. Gladys Aylward, missionary to China, her secret. She knew that God surrounded her and that her enemies could not thwart God's purposes in her life. If God has called me, the enemy can't stop that calling. What a great mentality. Her attitude. So this, this statement comes from when she was all alone in a hotel in Siberia. I mean, she has no defense. She's just a little thing. Again, sort of like Mary Slesser, teeny little woman. In fact, her biography, I think, is called little, The Little Woman. Uh, she's just a little thing. And the hotel owner realizes he has, uh, you know, a lady in his, in his hotel, and she has no defenses, and he owns this thing. And so he basically looks at himself as God in this hotel. And so he takes the master key and comes into her room. And she says, uh, when, when she says, hey, get out, this is not your, your space, uh, he says, this is my space, I own this hotel, I'm God uh, here. And she says, I belong to Jesus. Between you and me, he has placed a barrier. Take one more step, and you will see. And the man trembles and leaves. Richard Wormbrandt, Romanian pastor, his secret, he considered it ridiculous to fear any situation in which Christ was in control. Isn't that a great mentality? Why would you fear? If Christ was in control right now, why would you fear? And so his attitude when he's told all the tortures that are going to come his way because they are going to break him and they are going to make him an example to all the pastors of Romania that he was wrong, when he stood against the communist regime coming in, and he is going to make that right with all of them, because he had dared to stand up at the Council of the Cults and speak contrary to the communists. And so he was prisoner number one in Romania. Whew. So they're going to break him, and they're telling him, This is what we're going to do to you. And his response, Feel my pulse. If you notice my heart rate, inc- heart rate increase, then you will know that there is no God. In other words, I do not fear you. Check my pulse. If my pulse, increases, you know there's no God. But if it's not, you know there is. Whew. I don't know how many of us want our pulse taken. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Andrew, great stories in, uh, what, what's his biography? God's Smuggler. Oh, it's a great book. Uh, one of my all-time favorite biographies. His secret, he knew that God was greater than any obstacle he faced. So he was going into the, behind the iron curtain with Bibles, which was illegal by the way. And his attitude, I'm going, and God will get me through. And sure enough, you listen to the stories, and God got him through. I mean, just extraordinary stories, but he did not fear. And Stanley Dale. Now, remember, that isn't an actual picture of Stanley Dale. It's a picture of a young uh, Ernest Shackleton, but he's sort of playing the part of Stanley Dale in our series. So he was a missionary to the Yali tribe in Irian Jaya. His secret, he was convinced That the gospel of Jesus Christ always prevails, no matter the obstacles, no matter the impossibilities. His attitude, if someone should be afraid, it should be the cannibals, for I'm in the service of the Most High God. If someone's going to be afraid, it's not going to be me. I serve God Almighty. Let them tote around the fear. Where is this boldness found? In the God of all boldness. So as is the secret with almost everything in the kingdom of heaven... When you see a quality or an attribute that is supernatural and is meant to be a part of our behavior as Christians, this is not something that is just found in our own willpower, that if we dig deep enough in our pockets, we one day find it. This is something that we have to acknowledge, apart from God, I do not have this. But in Christ, I actually have access to all that I need to live in this body the way that God has called me. I have all that I need for life, and for godliness. 1 Thessalonians 2.2, 2. but even after we had suffered before and we were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. It's not just that we were bold to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. We were bold in our God. Isn't that just a fascinating phrase to add in there? They were bold Because of their faith in Christ, they were given access to a strength that otherwise they wouldn't have. This is how we do what we do. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. If we're in Adam, we share in Adam's limitations and only what is in Adam can we draw from. But if we are in Christ, we actually can draw from what is Christ's and he has everything we need for life and for godliness. Godliness is God behavior. So as a result, we have everything we need for God behavior. God's not trembling before the yali, so why should we? Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So in Christ is what it's talking about. We have boldness. Isn't that a fascinating statement? So when we're in Adam, we don't have that same spiritual boldness, but in, in Christ we do. 1 Timothy 3.13, "...for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus." So these servants of the church, these deacons, are finding in Christ Jesus a great boldness in the faith. Philemon 1.8, "...therefore," which is a conclusive statement. I'm not going into what was said before. This is just more of a, a, a discovery of this exact portion. "...therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ..." to command you what is fitting. So what we see is Paul is very clear that his boldness in Christ, that's where he has boldness. This is where his authority is to even speak in this situation to Philemon. In Christ we are. So in Christ, if we're in Adam, we don't have this. But if we have humbled ourselves and put off our first life in Adam, and by faith we have been clothed in Christ, then we have something, but we need to utilize it. Just like the stories of the parables where the master uh, is going to you know, leave town and he's going to deposit some talents of gold or some minas of silver before he leaves, and they're supposed to invest this while he's gone. The same is true with us. He's given us something. The question is, what are we doing with it? Most of us don't even know we have it. So we wrap it in a napkin and bury it in the ground. We don't realize what we have in Christ. But in Christ, we are bold to speak, to say what is unpopular, to hold the minority position. So instead of digging in your own pockets for that, to say, but God, I don't feel bold to speak. I don't care how you feel. What do you have? What is your position? You're in Christ, which means you have boldness to speak what is unpopular, You have Christ's grace for that exact task. You are bold to testify, to declare that we are in him. We are with him. My sister used to always give this illustration of the cross. And she said, imagine, Eric, that you're at the cross. And Jesus is up there and, you know, he's suffering. He's naked. He's covered in blood and he's weak looking. And everyone is mocking him and ridiculing and throwing accusation at him. And there's this whole throng around him. In that exact situation would you be willing to walk through the crowd, walk up to the cross, turn around, and stick your finger up, pointing at Jesus, even though everyone's looking at you and going, what are you doing? Are you with him? I'm with him. You see, that's Christianity in a hostile culture. To be willing to identify with the one who looks weak, who looks bloody, who looks guilty like he's a criminal, and yet to stand with him in those moments and to say, I am with him. What do you need to be able to do that? Something supernatural is what you need. This is not something you dig in your own pockets for. You access in the throne of grace. You have access to the throne of grace in Christ. So boldly enter the throne of grace where you may obtain mercy and grace for help in time of need. I think we found a time of need where we need grace for help. Bold to live, to live holy, pure, unstained by this world, happy in Jesus Bold to protect, to stand with the unlovely, the orphan, the outcast, the persecuted minority, and the unborn. Bold to go, to really journey where God leads, to leave comforts, to let go of ease. And then bold to stay, to endure, to stand up amidst the difficulty, to not retreat, to persevere in the place we are. We have that in Christ. Bold to speak, bold to testify, bold to live, bold to protect, bold to go, bold to stay so we may boldly say, this is a great scripture in Hebrews 13, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man can do to me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you know that, now you may boldly say, in response, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man can do to me. If you know that God is never going to leave you nor forsake you, you can cross that river, ford the river on the downhill slope with all the Yali warriors having their arrows aimed right at you, and you will not fear. If you know that He will never leave you nor forsake you, and there's a sacred wall in front of you, that this, this tribe needs to know that this Kembu spirit has no authority, no power over Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has defeated it, He is greater. So you can handspring spring right into that and declare it for all to know and for all to see. If you have the knowledge and the understanding that he will never leave you nor forsake you, you will not fear anything. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So this is the missionary motto of Stanley Dale that we've repeated at the end of each and every one of these sessions. Going enthusiastically, sharing courageously, serving sacrificially, suffering joyfully, dying triumphantly. And then we've had a prayer with each one. This is a great collection of prayers, guys. We need to be praying these. Lord, prepare me for the heavenly call. Number two was, Lord, refine my taste buds for all heavenly delicacies. Number three was, Lord, season me, toughen me, and prepare me for all difficulty. Number four was, Lord, may I be preoccupied with that which preoccupies you. Number five, Lord, may I uncover that which is in the thicket for my Saulwee tribe. Number six, Lord, may I be a doer and not just a hearer. Number seven, Lord, show me clearly that I'm never out of your sight. And number eight, Lord, may I stand when others sit. And then today's, Lord, fill me with the spirit of boldness. We can't do this on our own. But we can do it. In fact the statement is we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So when you stare at something you go that's too much for me. I couldn't do that. Okay, that's fine. You couldn't in Adam pull that off. I'm going to just quickly agree with you. However, in Christ you can. Not because you have something greater in your own pockets that you have Somehow, mastered your psychological bearing in this world, and you can bring your body into subjection, your own human authority. No, it's because you're in Christ and you have His authority, you have His power, you have His love, you have His vision, you're dreaming His dreams. So, when you transition into that kingdom, the kingdom of the dear Son, you have everything you need to live this life in this body, no matter where He calls you. If that's right down the road here in America, or if that's across the world, to a tribe that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have precisely what you need. Father, we ask that you would shake our lives, even shake this room, just as you did back in Acts chapter 4. Lord, we see the shock troops around us, even if they're ideological ones. Lord, we recognize the propensity that we have to be cowardly in this hour and to not be bold to speak, to not be bold to live, to not be bold to go, to not be bold to do. But Lord, we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit and with all boldness so that we could preach the gospel in this generation too. Lord, here we are. Use us as your communication vehicles. To this lost and dying world for the precious name we pray Amen. this message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie discipleship training at Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m on Sunday mornings or join us for daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8 15 a.m for more information go to live.ellerslie.com.